Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by Dr. Roy Page. Roy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, I know you recently uh, were on the slate to present to the Kabuki Education Week, which is kind of what interested me and what you're talking about. But you are also, for those listening, you're also a chiropractor. You're also in Southern California. I'm originally from Southern California. Uh, now I live in Las Vegas, but uh, you're a chiropractor, SoCal-based. Uh, you believe in exercise. I think you said about 70% of the work you do ends up being exercise or exercise intent, maybe some little bit of guidance there. Uh, give us a little bit of background. Where did you graduate from and how the heck did you end up in Los Angeles? Uh, I graduated from Logan College of Chiropractic. I did a dual program in the chiropractic degree, as well as their master's in sports science and rehabilitation. Uh, the internship required, uh, you get to a little bit seek the, the people who interest you. And I thought Dr. Craig Liebenson might be interesting for rehabilitation. And I had to follow him around the U.S. I went to LA, asked him. He didn't give me a clear answer. I went to New York, went to one of the, one of the seminars up there. He, he didn't say yes or no. And then I finally went to Washington, D.C. to another one of his seminars. This is all with like a month and a half time period. And he finally was like, fine, I'll give you you a shot. And he let me uh, join the team Halloween of 2012. So I did my six-month internship under him. I really wanted to have an experience that would mimic a residency since we tend not to have that opportunity in the chiropractic field. Yeah. And originally I wanted to be an acupuncturist. I didn't even know what a chiropractor was. Uh, I had this, uh, this, um, experience. My father was a surgical oncologist and he threw a pulmonary emboli, a couple clots, uh, that, caused him to lose a lot of function. He was supposed to pass away. And I had been doing uh, many, many years of martial arts prior to this event and had learned some Qigong massage. And when I got to see my dad in the hospital, the docs said that this is it. You need to say goodbye to him. Uh, I kept doing this uh, massage to him and he'd get a few minutes of relief. He'd have to breathe in a brown paper bag to try to balance out his pH because his heart was not able to circulate the oxygen. So his body was essentially starving for oxygen and he kept hyperventilating and the brown paper bag was doing nothing. We were, everyone was just waiting for him to pass. And so I kept doing this massage over and over and over and over and over. And three days later, they said I could take him home. He lived for three more years. And that was sort of the wake up call for me that I should do something in the healthcare field. Uh, but I never really wanted to be a medical doctor. Um, he had actually steered me away from that. He said, there's too much bureaucracy in medicine and you can't be a real doctor. You can't be innovative anymore. So 
I thought, you know what? Like I have all of this history in martial arts. I'm never going to make a living owning a dojo, but maybe I could be an, an Eastern medicine provider. And the, uh, the schools that I was interested in, there's happened to be chiropractic colleges at the time. Uh, they, and I thought, Hey, why not just get as many degrees as possible if I'm going to commit four years? So they were like, sure, let's, let's have you shadow a Cairo. And the chiropractor I decided to shadow, he, uh, um, he gave me my first adjustment and I was one of those miracle cases where your life changes. So again, keep in mind, I did not even know what the word chiropractor was at the time. This guy manipulates my neck and I had three years of migraines, insomnia and IBS gone. And it was, it was kind of cool. I thought, damn, now I have to be a professional backcracker. And he goes, you know, uh, I went to Logan. St. Louis is a four and a half hour drive from Memphis where I'm from and he said, go check it out. And he was an ART guy. Actually, no, at the time he wasn't. He was an SFMA guy. Uh, he didn't know about ART until me. I came along and, and t- taught him about ART. He, he was a golf guy, TPI, SFMA, and he was really proud of Logan having this sports science and rehab program. And he said, you need to go check it out. Also, they have this cadaver lab that rivals all the schools. So I said, sure, let's go check it out. And of course the campus is beautiful, 60 acres. It's used to be a seminary. It has this feel to it. Like you got to learn something there. Right. Nice big pond in the front. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't really care about the weather at the time. So, uh, I just wanted to go somewhere I could commit my, myself to. And I toured this campus and when it went to the cadaver lab, everyone, all the bodies were, you know, bagged up. So I said, Hey, I want to see one of these things. And the cadaver that was chosen, that was unveiled to me, looked identical to my dad. What? So I had this freaky moment where I'm like, God, <laughs> something's That's telling spooky. me, giving me a clue here. And I decided to put my acupuncture on hold for a while. Uh, I come out to LA, I practice under Craig. After uh, that internship was over with, I had a choice to make. I could stay in more school or move on. And I decided, you know what? I'm building my practice. It's not that busy. Why not do four more years of acupuncture? So I went and got another master's. Where'd you go for that? Uh, Emperor's College. That's in Santa Monica. Okay. Not too far from the office, huh? Not too far from the office. And also, by the way, this is a, a huge point on my development. So, you know, obviously we're rehab based, but here's the secret to everything. Uh, I also became a trainer over this time as well, uh, because you looked at how buff Craig was and you're like, (laughs) I want to have a body like that dude. That's right. (laughs) Um, we, we had been referring to several trainers in the area. That's what we do. That's a huge referral network for us. Um, you know, you have cash clients. So, uh, we had a lot, a lot of people that we were working with and the two main ones ha- that train out of this gym between the office and my school, they had to move on for various family reasons or whatever. And we had about 14 or 15 patients that suddenly didn't have a trainer that I was already working with. I knew the whole case, everything. And I just picked it up. I said, all right, I'll do the training on the site as well. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got to see the training world as well. And you get to work more with patients and you get to actually see how things change in real time. Yeah, man. I, I advise students all the time, like, oh, what class should I take? I'm like, while you're in school, become a trainer and just work like 
maybe two days a week or Saturdays and Wednesday afternoons or something like that as a trainer, but see how people respond, make a little bit of money. And it's not going to make you anything amazing, but make a little bit of money and just see how people work and try and teach them exercise because it will make you so much better of a doctor. You know what? The joke is actually I can make as much money out here as a trainer as I can as a doctor, but it has to do with overhead and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. I don't, I don't doubt that. Southern California is a funky market. Um, yeah, my and brother-in-law was paying like two twenty-five an hour for personal training appointments, yep. and the guy, and that was only because he signed up for like a package. And he was like two seventy or something like that. Yeah, I got a guy that down here he does uh, ten thousand dollars per month packages. Wow. Yeah, I'm like, how do you? I can't figure it out. Yeah. But uh, the the real the real nugget that I wanted to share about the training side of it is there's a difference in mindset with the patient. So the same patient would see me on a Monday in the clinic and catastrophize what's going on. And they'd see me on a Tuesday in the gym and they're ready to get after it. And I got so much more done in the gym, not because I had more time with them, but because Uh they were less afraid in the gym setting. So when we talk about, you know, gym clinic hybrids, uh, I have a lot of comments to make about that. And I, I, I truly feel that that's the best, uh, that's the, like, should be the gold standard of people's care. But I, but I also believe that the clinic itself, while it's a, a bit sterile and safe, uh, you know, the, the benefit to that is people can reveal what's going on and we can use it as a think tank to uh-huh. get a good assessment. The problem, the downside is you can't push people as hard as you can in a gym setting. So there needs to be some sort of, you know, division even within the clinic gym hybrid. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, go into those reasons. Cause I mean, I, you know, obviously I believe in it, right. I started a podcast, I started a company and we try and support people doing it all the time because it is what I think is the best end of care. You're coming out of one of the, you know, Craig's obviously uh, literally wrote the book on rehabbing spine injuries. Right. Right. <laughs> and you've learned under this amazing mentor. Uh, but, and, and you've had a chance to go into and out of that model, right? You, you could have just gone into acupuncture. You could have just gone into chiropractic office and left Craig's, but you decided to stick around. What, what gives you the confidence that this model is the right one? Well, like I said, it, it comes down to getting people to do things they didn't think were possible. Okay. That's, that's the magic of the care that we provide. So you turn corners by breaking uh, their preconceptions about the limits of their own body and you provide a safe space for them to challenge themselves. Uh, that, that occurs in the clinic setting where you're much more detailed and dialed in but at some point you have to push as well. And so they're always on a continuum. You know, we're always trying to find that it's a scalable thing. Are you so acute that we have to mainly base care uh, for palliative reasons? Or are we at the end of care, which is not end of care. It's just maintenance now. You know, I'm be, I've become like the ultimate maintenance doc. So it's kind of funny. Have, most of my patients now are just seeing me because they're hungry for more. Uh, which is amazing. It's more fun that way. So you just keep looking and honestly, good programming, good strength and conditioning programming. That's, that's the medicine. So if you program well, you shouldn't get hurt in the gym. That should be like a freak thing. And you should just constantly have these improvements and it should be objective and, and trackable and expected, you know, and the uh, it's whether you have a gym and a clinic that's mm-hmm. together or you're a clinic and then you refer to, to trainers that are in a gym. Sure. It has to be that, that combination, that harmony. 
and you have right. to be able to communicate. Right. I think too, one, one thing that I don't think, um, if you haven't operated in this thing that you don't realize, and I'm sure you realize this now, really like, uh, you can ask the most in-depth questions. You can do the best exams. You can do everything you want, but if you're restricted to 20 minutes or 15 or 10, right. there's no way you're going to see as much contextual information as seeing that person 45, 50 minutes into an hour long workout. And it's just incredible what you see because, you know, when you, they're telling you zero out of 10 pain and then you notice that after every set, they're rubbing their right, you know, SI joint or something. It's like, all right, we're not at a true zero, but I'm glad you're telling me that you don't have any pain, but I want to know it in testing. And, you know, this is a good point about uh, COVID-19 or a pandemic causing us to go into telehealth and telemedicine because I get to see people doing some of the prescriptive exercises at home with what they have. And no matter how, how clear you are in the clinic, they're very uh, creative for doing their own thing at home. It's amazing. So, you know, even just in the environment change of this, the patient knowing what they can, what should do in a uh-huh. clinic or in a gym, going home and trying to pull it off, it's like blinders for them. They, you know, so setting matters. And because setting matters, that's why this idea of merging the clinic and the gym, that's important. And there's pros and cons to having the combination versus having two different facilities. Yeah. Yeah. One thing too, that I want people to kind of pick up on, and maybe you can comment on this is, um, quite a few people become trainers as they become chiros, like they, they kind of your path, you know, they become a, a chiro and then they want to add in training. But you also talked about from the business perspective, like those two local trainers were also significant revenues or like uh, referral sources. Right. And can you talk a little bit about how you balance that? Because I've, I've had this and I've had a lot of clients that do this. When you have somebody that's totally jacked up, uh, uh, I'm being kind and they're just like a, an eggshell patient. Like it doesn't take much to piss them off. Sometimes I manage those people's training because of understanding load management and whatnot. Now I'm not an expert like you. I don't want, I know you gave a whole talk on it, but all I'm saying is like, looking at derivatives of say, if they're a flexion intolerant person, like looking at derivatives of flexion, right. In their workout. But I still would refer a lot of patients to a lot of trainers because I don't want to give up all those relationships and bring everything in house. And it was really funny. I had a local CrossFit coach. I said, Hey man, you know, we we're training some people in the gym, but I want you to know, like, we're not threatening, you know, your business. And his response was, Oh no, man, we're fine. Your place is like a refugee camp for my workouts, <laughs> which I always thought was like a great way to describe it, right? He's like, yeah, I want competitors. I want high level. And if they can't keep up, I, he's like, I feel bad, but I, I don't really, you know, we're going for something else at our gym. Right. I was really happy. He was super clear about what he was going for, you know, but I always thought that was a funny comment, the refugee camp. So how do you balance that of like who you're going to take on as a training client and who you're going to push out to another uh, well, you know, the pandemic kind of changed things for me a little bit. So I've shifted back to 100% in the office and I have trainers that picked up all of my patient clients. Uh, okay. So I have like a network of trainers now that have been trained under me mm-hmm. and they execute what my programs are within. Also, they have freedom. Uh, it, but this is the same problem I ran into by becoming an acupuncturist because I've essentially cut off all my referral sources if I'm the everything guy, right? Right. So there's just an understanding that um, I, I, I think it, you're just more enriched. So 
acupuncturists still refer to me because I'm going to do manual therapies and rehab and things that they don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do assessments that's going to feed back into their therapy, right? And help them out. And you just have to market yourself in the way where like it's a team. It's, you know, and there's no ego behind it. So people still have ownership of their patient sources uh, and you respect that and you provide something that's not given elsewhere. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, if I, if I were still doing things in the gym uh, with people live, uh, the I had my weeks, I was insane. I had, I was working seven days a week. Okay. So mm-hmm. I was training people three days a week in the clinic, four days a week. All right. And I was working like 80 hour weeks and I loved it. And because I was in two different places uh, and I always felt like I was on vacation from the other job. So the second I get burned out in the clinic and then I was pissed off about writing more notes, I'd be in the gym, you know, having fun. But yeah. then my body would break down in the gym because I'm shocking weights. I'm moving things around, you know, I'm on my feet and, uh, you know, I'd go back to the office. Hey, I get to take a break, right? In a way. So that's not really the smartest move. Uh, <laughs> it's just something that was uh, an immersion experience for me to learn more as a clinician. And now the silver lining of the pandemic is that I've learned how to slow down and that's healthy for me. Um, you know, try to manage my time better because it's not just about how much I can make and how many people I can help. It's, uh, how sharp can I be for those people and for myself? So, um, I'm learning still how to, you know, I'm, I'm injured right now and I'm still seeing patients and I'm a little bit nutty, but I'm, I, you find ways, you find ways to keep going because you love it, but you also have to find ways to hold yourself back because you love it too much. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about your injury, but real quick, I also want to talk about the sponsor of this show, which is Clinic Gym Connect. And, you know, as Roy's talking about like managing all these things, one of the things that uh, sometimes when we get busy, we forget to do is communicate with our patients. You know, we're organizing notes and organizing workouts and organizing records and exams and all that. But patient communication is so huge and it's often what gets us the highest ratings on Google and it's what make people willing to pay cash rates and all those things when they understand what's going on and understand what's next. So Clinic Gym Connect allows you to communicate with your patients easily through text messaging and allows everybody in the office to grab those conversations and continue those conversations, yet the patient only needs to know one phone number for the clinic. So multiple people can be uh, talking to patients from their own cell phone without having to buy a specific cell phone number for the office. So we just have one phone number, communicate uh, with your patients through text messaging. It's way more efficient, it's way faster. And when they're supposed to meet guys like Roy at the clinic one day, and then maybe at the gym the next, it can handle all that, put it all together and keep it seamless. So you can not only give your patients great care, but give them a great experience as well. So if you're interested, go ahead and check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com. And if you're listening to this, hit me up, ask me for a demo. You can just email me or hit me up on Facebook. I'll happily give you a demo and show you what it can do in your office. So with that, let's get back to Roy Page. All right, Roy. So you kind of touched on it earlier uh, that you're injured, but here we're talking about like keeping patients healthy. Uh, They're in the clinic, you know, they're in maintenance care, et cetera, et cetera. And you recently uh, had a, well, kind of a lesser, a non-prevalent injury, right? It's not a a very, although everybody knows what it is, not very prevalent. Can you Kind of give us some details of what happened and yep. what, what's going on. 
I was moving and I have a heavy safe for my wife, <laughs> mainly her jewelry. And we were putting it up in a U-Haul and it was on a dolly and it shifted and I caught it with my left arm and it pulled my biceps right off the attachment. So I am going in for surgery on Tuesday. And the, uh, it's the funny thing is, you know, we, whenever we have an experience like this, you become the biceps guy. I have two patients, two new patients. I just got one on Friday and one on last Saturday. I did this on Sunday. Uh, both of them have a bulls, their biceps tendons. So we'll be rehabbing together. That's awesome. All three of so us. for those listening, uh, you and I are recording on a Friday. This happens Sunday. So you're right at what, five days out? Is I'm a, right? almost a week out, a week Sunday and two yeah. days. Okay. And uh, so there you are, you know, helping everybody with their health care. This occurs. What'd you learn right away? I mean, what what thoughts went through your head as far as diagnostics and <laughs> origin insertion? You, know you don't have to be a doctor to know what happened. Uh, yeah, sure. It sounds like a tree cracking in half and you can see things coil up in your arm. Now, being a doctor, I knew ex exactly it was a distal biceps avulsion. Uh, I knew it had gone all the way. Um, the you know It's spooky. So you go right to the ER and then you sit there for nine hours and you wonder what's going on and you get x-rays. You realize how bad of an experience all your patients that went through this have had in there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really humbling because I have a, a number of studies that were irrelevant when all I needed was an MRI and then they didn't even do the MRI correctly. Um, so anyways, enough about that. I mean, I went to a nice hospital and the staff was great, but I think it's important though to talk about a couple things. And I would love, first off, like if you've ever referred a patient for an MRI, especially a spine MRI, and you've never been yourself in that MRI too. Spooky, right? Yeah. Like it, a bad rave. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm a big dude, like my shoulders were up against the tube. You know, I had a lumbar MRI and you realize like, oh, this is incredibly claustrophobic. This is not, I'm referring to this like it's not an experience and it's an experience, especially when you're in pain, you got to transfer all the table, yeah. all this stuff. And I'm sorry, I didn't catch what you said. When you're in pain, especially it makes a big difference because you, yeah. you, you can't move at all. Yeah. And, I was moving involuntarily because things were contracting. Yeah. But I, you know, they're like, we have to redo it. Stay, sit still, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's spooky. You know, your patient's sitting there probably scared. I mean, you knew what was going on. You know, you have more training than say 99% of the general population. And I'm sure it's still, it was like intimidating and it's not a comfortable experience. Right. That's correct. Yeah. And so I think it's important to kind of, uh, understand those things, especially when, I mean, in your, I don't know how many you send for, but in a year, you'll probably send for, you know, 50 to hundred MRIs or something. If you're just seeing people regularly and like, Oh, that's, that's 50 experiences that somebody's going to have or right. 50 different people are going to have. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you went into, uh, I'm sure you got it diagnosed. I mean, you already knew the diagnosis, but you get an MRI and then you get into the great waiting game, right? It's insane. The orthopedic world moves extremely slow. So, I mean, ultimately with man, acute, was, uh, you know, um, uh, immobilizing injuries, like yeah. <laughs> you're not talking. Well, they said, you know, this is an elective surgery because you don't need to be able to supinate in a right-handed world. Well, that's insane. So, yeah. so I said, okay, well, whatever. And i I did get in with a great doctor. I'm, I'm lucky, uh, that I was able to get on the schedule as soon as I did. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Now, was that through personal relationship, basically, that you're able to do that? Or they, you just had a you cancellation? Know, I was able to go 
through recommendations from several colleagues, including Craig, uh, and hunt down the ones that were uh, immediately available. And then I don't know if I got special treatment or not. I really don't think so. I think people are just booked out and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I was able to get the surgery in on Tuesday is because another one got canceled. So works out for you. Yeah. Now, did they give you any instructions about what will happen after Tuesday as far as recovery? I mean, you're a guy that basically you're like a carpenter, right? You got to yeah. use both hands every day of work. So they told me that uh, after four or five days, I could go back to work, but I'm going to be so wiped out from the surgery that I'll hit a wall and I shouldn't plan more than half a day. Whatever I normally do, do 50%. So, okay. So your response well, obviously was, I'm not okay, adjusting. I'll, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, of course. I've yeah, already got a guy that worked 80 hours a week, seven days a week is like, yeah, no problem. I work 40 hours now. Time off. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, the trick is, you know, you have to come up with solutions to problems that are, are unique now because you don't have both arms. So, I mean, it's just the little things like how do you do an FAI test? You know, I, I already tried to figure that one out with one arm. It, it's, it gets really tricky. So you, and I, because I'm an acupuncturist and I do exercise, I'm able to, you know, have other things at my disposal. But if I have to adjust someone, they're going to have to wait. I don't have yeah. that option right now. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. What, what other uh, adaptations have you made just while you're injured? I mean, you're not even, you're still haven't had surgery, but still that, that left arm's inflamed, it's ruptured and it's pretty, pretty useless for a lot of weight bearing activity. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I want to skip that question. I want to go into like an epiphany. Okay. okay. Something I think was, I mean, it excites me. So I'll show yeah. the audience. Um, I think everything we do comes down to bandwidth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I like toe socks. I can tell you I, toe socks or no socks. It's like my mantra. Okay. I, I always recommend them to my patients, especially my uh, low back pain patients. And the reason is most people with low back pain feel better if they start wear, wearing toe socks. So imagine that you have mittens on your whole life and then you take those mittens off and you have to type your first paper or play the piano. You have flippers for hands. No idea what fingers are. Okay. Your feet are the same way. They're the same amount of nerve endings in our feet. And you've probably seen videos of people with no arms shooting bows and arrows with their toes and all of that. So it's about bandwidth. And the more bandwidth we have, the better we move, the better things work. So I'm putting on my toe socks and I only have one hand to put it on. And a few days ago, it was really pissing me off. Okay. But this morning I got up and I put that toe sock on so damn fast. I couldn't believe it. And I could feel, I actually like my, my toes actually kind of scrunched in a way that pulled them on as I would have done with my left hand. And I, and it just shocked me all of a sudden I realized, holy, you know, here I am toe sock and my left foot or whatever foot it was is behaving like a hand. And that's just been a few days. That was so quick. And when we do manual therapy, it's for more bandwidth. When you strengthen a tissue, it's for more bandwidth. How do you send more neural drive there? And I, and I really think like that was this personal thing that I experienced where I realized, you know, all I'm really doing with patients is a sleight of hand thing. And I do it enough times that I update them into a new version of themselves where they're capable of doing maneuvers that they weren't previously able to do. And that's yeah. it. And make them better. The, the other thing is, I mean, efficiency, you know, we tend to get much more efficient at things we do high repetitions of. Is there anything you realize your technique had gotten lazy on or you're relying too much on say your upper body 
No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I, sorry about that one. I, I, I have some, uh, I, well, the, some of the maneuvers I do with manual therapy are not accessible, period. So, I mean, when it comes to you like... You couldn't even modify and make it work. So I do a, a unique way of adjusting the thoracic spine where it's mostly A to P and I traction the joint. And it's, there's a certain like uh, presentation of people that respond very, very well to that. And I love it. And I can't do that at all right now because I can't hug people. I can't do A to P. So yeah. I haven't even attempted that. I did attempt a couple of, of adjust cervical adjustments with my right hand and just stabilizing with my shoulder. That was interesting. I've got them to work, but it's not like I want to do that because you still have these sort of instincts where you brace and I start to, you know, you just can't help but recruit stuff that you shouldn't recruit. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at. It's a a good point. I was just talking to somebody recently about, you know, we were talking about ART certification and I got full body certified, like tail into school. And we were saying like, when you realize that, you know, part of the reason that Mike Leahy's so great at ART is he, he's got a massive thumb. <laughs> it's just <laughs> enormous, right? It's, right. I'm a tall guy, like six foot four. And I think his thumb is another inch longer than mine. Right. And it's like, well, for some of these moves, you need a super long thumb. Uh, and there's some things, certain adjustments and certain manual therapies and certain demonstrations where you don't realize like, oh, I'm able to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And you're right. in this perfect place where, uh, the universe smacks you around a little bit and like, Hey, you can't do that. Huh? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I'll have to figure it out as I go. I mean, yeah. but again, that's the benefit of having multiple tools. So yeah. And I, having a, a long list of, of resources providers, other people that can right. kind of jump into, I mean, I'm sure you'll refer people in the next uh, few weeks that you wouldn't normally refer out or you ask for assistance when normally you wouldn't. And that's, it might work out to be a positive in that in that realm. Yeah, <laughs> come back to you hopefully. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Roy, this has been a, a pleasure. Uh, I would love to have you back on the show because I know that you ironically spoke all about load management uh, to <laughs> recently to the Kabuki uh, Education Week, and uh, instead of just talking about that for five or ten minutes, I'd really love to go into that uh, from a from your perspective as a clinician. Uh, sometime in the future, if you've got time, I, I have time. I and I can give a like an overview if you want. Yeah, well, let's do a little introduction, and we'll have you on in a few uh, like a couple months and kind of deep dive it. But yes. so the outline is we have to apply a load to change a tissue. You know, mm-hmm. the hardest thing someone does well ends up becoming their best therapy. And in the beginning, you have corrective exercise. And all corrective exercise really is, is helping people get out of their own way. It goes back to bandwidth. Getting out of their own way might mean they're just doing it more efficiently, right? But that well runs dry very, very fast. So, you know, one, corrective exercise, they work because they're a novel stimulus. And the second that stimulus is no longer novel, maybe your body doesn't care about putting down more bandwidth for it, right? And so usually that's when you have to escalate or dovetail it with some sort of strength and conditioning. And uh, in the strength and conditioning world, they use accessory moves or lifts to work on their weak spots. And that's really the, what my talk was about is how, how do you apply 
accessory lifts for therapy. And also uh, people who are already training, who are already doing accessory lifts, they probably don't conceptualize those things as a rehab, uh, you know, opportunity. So the um, accessory lifts could just be components of a lift. So if you have a deadlift and you're weak at the bottom of the deadlift, you might need to train the bottom part of the deadlift. And you could do that with very, very, very deep uh, good mornings or something like that. But if you need to train the top of the deadlift because your lockout is terrible, you might be training part of the erector spine through a back extension maneuver or something like that. And so you just find unique ways to uh, take apart the different uh, sectors of p- positions and add load to them and get really good in that. And in the rehab setting, you know, you're moving with pain. So all you're doing is saying, okay, this is the range that we can load without pain. And you start to make it stronger. And guess what happens? You get a little elbow room on that range and you start to find new ways to go beyond that. Right. And so resiliency training really comes down to how you use accessory lifting as a concept to uh, armor certain pieces of tissues that are at low capacity. And also the other component of my talk was uh, energy systems that I find most people, they get hurt when they, you know, have been overtraining, but overtraining is sort of like a misunderstood type of theme. It's really, they're not at their highest capacity and they go up for a lift and they hurt themselves. I have lots of lifters that were, that hurt their low back on a set, on a set of something they should have easily been able to lift. And when they can lift very, very, very high weight and they've been training for a very long time and all of a sudden they got hurt on a warm-up set. Why did that happen? You know? And so energy systems are critical in being able to develop them and know how to develop them. Uh, and when you have people who are in the strength world, they kind of dismiss a lot of the conditioning, but the conditioning is the secret sauce because that's what allows you to recover from your high loads and everything that goes along with training all the time. So, uh, we're talking about anti-glycolytic systems or, or programming, talking about uh, different phases of, of your metabolism and how the mitochondria are able to produce energy and where are they, where are they most dense at? So, you know, having a, a aerobic, like a VO2 max is one thing, but being able to have high mitochondrial density, like in the tendon, for instance, that's another thing. So, I don't know if I had more mitochondria in my biceps, if I would have withstood it, probably not, you know, accidents still happen, but honestly, you have to put yourself in some, um, arbitrary positions and train there. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are making money selling things like let's train in the, the range that's, that's terrible to be in, you know, like I see all the time memes and things on Instagram of people saying, you know, oh, this therapist says don't ever go out of neutral and lift because you'll break yourself or whatever. And then they make fun of that. And there's some, some truth to that. You need to train in a, outside of the margin of safety for some things. So you just have to also be able to, to declare what's valuable, what's the real goal, what's important, because you don't need to train everything because guess what? You can't. And there's just not enough time and you have to prioritize. So prioritization, goal setting, that's what I do in the clinic with people. I make them all into athletes. They just don't know it. And, <laughs> the, uh, and that's the medicine. And that's how you, how you break barriers with people. And my talk with Kabuki was sort of to help like expose to that community of people who are interested in lifting and exercise and fitness that the uh, 
most powerful medicine is probably already in their arsenal. They didn't even know it. How do you be your own doctor? And what are they missing out on? Because what we're not doing is usually the thing we most need to do. And again, it goes back to prioritizing because you can't do it all. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that you said that just drives me absolutely nuts uh, is when you say there's, you know, I love the fact that you're talking about the blend of the gym and the clinic. And when people do like these, for, I'll use DNS, for example, they do like all this DNS for rehab and then DNS never makes it into the gym for exercise. I'm like, right. well, if it's so good for rehab, why not? You know, if you're a DNS believer, you should be a believer regardless of location, you know, or, or they like have this whole rehab thing and then their patient gets shipped off to the gym. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to teach you how to deadlift. Like I've never done that before. It's like, right. what? Like, why are you separating these two? If it's good for what do they say, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Typically movement is like a positive movement is a positive movement. If, if getting somebody a hip hinge in the clinic is great, then it's probably really great in the gym too. And you know, if you think that uh, the weight bearing exercise for the shoulder, for shoulder rehab is fantastic, like, uh, you know, bear position and Turkish get-ups and all these other things. And then, you know, you go over to the gym and you see them doing like internal and external rotations of the band. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, what are you? <laughs> and it's also like, like you're saying bandwidth, you don't have to learn as many exercises. If you know what the solution, what that, what problem those exercises solve, all you have to work on is like how to scale them properly for the person in front of you. Right. And uh, it just, it's like a little pet peeve of mine. So you got me a little fired up about it. Great. Yeah. Do that. Anyway, so Roy, how can people get a hold of you? They have some questions or they, they uh, want to kind of follow you along. Yeah. My email address is roypagedc at gmail.com. Uh, last name is spelled P-A-G-E. And my Instagram handles at roypagedc. Easy. Wow. You caught them early, man. You got the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not as uh, socially, uh, like my, uh, my presence online isn't as big as I would like it to be. I need to, I need to work on that. I get, you know, caught up with patients. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you're working 80 hours a week, seven, seven days, 80 hours, like when are you going to get on your, your phone to hop on social media? All right. Right. It's tough. It's tricky stuff, man. Yeah. Prioritizing. Awesome. <laughs> it goes back well, to that. Yeah. Roy, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. And I look forward to talking to you more about load management in the future. Um, with that, uh, Big thanks to Roy Page, and this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, Roy. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com, ClinicGymConnect.com. Now, if you want to grow your practice, add a gym, provide great customer service, whatever you want to do in your clinic or in your gym, Clinic Gym Connect can help you do it faster, easier, more efficiently, and make your patients and clients fall in love with you. So just check it out at clinicgymconnect.com.